I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins. And you're listening to Biz Talks, a weekly conversation with local business leaders about topics affecting New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. I'm Kim Singletary, the editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And I um, today we're going to be talking about water, a very familiar issue in New Orleans. We talk about water constantly. Um, usually it's in a very challenging way, and we're going to do that again today. Um, specifically, we're going to talk about the, the massive saltwater wedge that's coming up the Mississippi River that we all know about. Um, just trying to find out what's going on, what's the latest, and what are we doing to protect ourselves now and in the future um, to protect our water supply going forward. Um, and to do that, my guest today is uh, Gassan, I'm going to say your name wrong, Gassan Corban. Perfect. perfect. All right. Well done. Corban. Well done. <laughs> he is the Executive Director of Sewage and Water Board of New Orleans uh, since September of 2018, so about five years now. And his mission is a huge one um, to overhaul the agency's antiquated equipment and infrastructure. Um, some of these stuff that's gone back, what, 100, 200 years <laughs> uh, that we're dealing with and create a modern utility um, that's capable of meeting all of our needs right now. So welcome, Mr. Corban. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to be on your podcast today. Hey, so we're excited. So let's just get right into it. So what's What's going on? It's been kind of a consistent thing in our news for weeks now, and it's like, be freaked out, don't be freaked out. Um, it, what are we? What are we doing? Where Where are we at? So specific to the saltwater intrusion, uh, it's a real issue for us, but it's not an alarming one, okay. uh, especially with the most recent projections. When when it first started to be an issue about a month or so ago. Uh, the time and the schedule for the uh, salt to reach our intake, which we have two of them, uh, was a lot tighter. And uh, subsequent projections uh, kind of lax that um, the timeline. And currently the projections are that uh, neither of the water intakes that we have will uh, face an elevated uh, level of salt uh, to uh, 250 parts per million. Uh, that's not to say that we are not looking at uh, this threat uh, more seriously and uh, thinking of what can we do to be ready if things change, the timeline changes, the elevated levels uh, of salt and water maybe change. Is that because the, there are measures that are, are happening right now that are working, or is it just, um, are we, it's, is north of us getting some rain, or, or what's, what's happening? It's a combination of both. Yeah. Uh, the Corps of Engineers has assumed the responsibility of building a cell um, at a point in the river, so, you know, uh, downstream from us to basically building a shelf or a dam in the, in the bottom of the river to block, or if nothing else, slow the movement and the pace of the, the wedge that's moving up against the river, uh, the flow of the river. So that has proven uh, beneficial and it's it, uh, we're showing the, uh, the evidence and the benefits of that. Uh, at the same time, there has been some rainfall uh, upstream uh, that had contributed to increase in the flow 
uh, which obviously helped combat and push back the wedge a little bit. Uh, so we're at the mercy of, of weather conditions. Uh, a lot of people are obviously praying for rain in the um, you know Ohio uh, River va Valley or even local rains. Uh, but because of uh, the circumstance is outside our control for for the most part, we are taking measures to be ready. Okay. Uh, meaning, uh, what if this this wedge does go faster? What if the salinity levels are higher than projected? What do we do? And uh, because we have two different uh, intakes, one is on the west bank of the river, one is on the east bank. The west bank one is a smaller uh, plant. Um, it produces about 14 to 15 million gallons a day. So the measures or the solution for that is totally different than the one on the East Bank, which produces anywhere between 135 million gallons a day to 150. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we have devised plans for both. They're different, but because one is slightly more likely to face, uh, you know, again, elevated levels, we are, uh, focusing on being ready for that first. And then obviously we can pivot or west. respond the West Bank, yes. The West Bank, but that would be, but then the East Bank is like 10 times the size. Basically. It, it is, but it's less uh, in danger, okay. so to speak, in terms of uh, being exposed to any high salinity level. Okay. So, so we're more focusing on what is maybe more imminent than not. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get super technical, but what kind of things are you doing on that end? on the okay. west? Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's a very good question. The, the, the main uh, approach is to uh, blend the water at the intake to lower the salinity level. So then how you do that in case of uh, the West Bank is you build a what we call the technical term is a coffer dam, basically an enclosure, a four-sided enclosure around the intake to isolate the river water from the intake itself. So you can then pump that water out and it becomes dry momentarily. And then you start uh, by importing water from, uh, and we can get, I'll explain more how we import it. We're going to bring fresh water from up upriver about 10 to 12 miles that is not impacted by the, the salt and fill those the coffer dam at continuous basis in order to maintain that same chemistry and same water that we are using today before the salt wedge gets, gets there. So uh, that allows you to uh, maintain your purification process with no adjustments and it will be business as usual and nobody will know the difference. The water would have the same good quality uh, reaching people's faucets. Okay. Um, in that case, we have a, a partnership with the Corps of Engineers where we are responsible for the coffer dam and, and securing a barge uh, attached to the coffer dam that can take the water from different set of barges that the core would be responsible for. In this case, about three of them that uh, can hold about 5 million gallons each. And then they can just go up and down the river and then uh, keep the supply to the intake uh, available at all times, 24 seven. And again, 
the in, the interior process, meaning the uh, purification process, will not be altered or need to be altered because the water is the same. Okay. So with that, that would protect any uh, any of our consumers from exposure for too high salt, but more importantly, or equally importantly, if the levels even are not detected where you can drink it, uh, but it, it, you know, it's not noticeable, uh, um, the system itself may be exposed to a higher level of corrosiveness because of the high salinity. So if we blend or replace the water source, then we are taking away that, that exposure as well. Um, now, in addition to that, uh, we are looking at possibly um, as an, an added benefit is maybe changing the part of the, um, the the chemical induction or introduction to the water. Um, I mean, I don't know how technical we, you want to be. We can add <laughs> orthophosphate or some some form of chemical that allow us to create a scale uh, inside the uh, line. The, the lead lines to make sure that the leaching of the lead is uh, minimized, if not eliminated altogether. Um, it's just an added precaution. It may not be needed, but we're we're looking at that that possibility just as as an added measure of protection. Okay. So. So let's talk a little bit about that, because I know like I, there was a, a article that came out on CNN this weekend um, talking about the issue with lead pipes across the country and that the government has um, uh, figured out like about $15 billion of federal money to help cities um, remove those those lead pipes. And New Orleans being an old city, it's not surprising that we do have old pipes and that they uh, a lot of them are lead pipes. We uh, I guess the majority of them are supposed to have been laid about 100, 120 years ago. Is that what we're talking about? Well, it's very difficult to define the number. So we are in the middle of uh, uh, an inventory process to determine uh, these the number of those lead lines and where they are. Uh, yeah. We are using machine learning and analytics and a lot of documentation marrying all the data that we have to be, to be able to create a model that we feel would be accurate enough to reflect what the inventory looks like. So that's a requirement by the new uh, lead and copper rule where we as a utility are uh, required to submit that inventory by October of 2024, next year, a year from now. We are on track and we are well equipped to provide that inventory. Now, one caveat part of that inventory is that anything that we do not know for certain if is not lead will be by default defined as lead until wow. until proven otherwise. So we are taking <clears throat> and consistent with the requirements the measure to assume your lead line, lead service line, or like your service line rather is lead unless we know it's not. Okay. okay. So that would that would then obligate us to focus on your service line and make sure it's on the list of lines to be replaced. So after that um, first step, required step of inventory, then we would have to devise a plan of how do we go about replacing the those lines. And we suspect they'll be in the 50,000 or over uh, kind of magnitude. Yeah. And because of that, 
and you know, based on funding and capacity, it is very likely that it's going to take multiple years. Even if you do um, thousand a year, that's fifty years. If you do two thousand, that I mean, so so yeah. no matter how you look at it, this is a multi-year uh, long-term project. So there are things that have to be done in the interim to continue to protect uh, our consumers uh, because. Again, you know, where where we where we may uh, replace the first one this year, the last one may be twenty years from now. So that's a long time for us to not do something in the interim. Right. Now, and as you alluded to earlier, the, the issue here is that with the salt water, um, it can, you know, corrode that those inside of those pipes, and then we end up with harmful metals like lead in our in our water supply, which is obviously what you do not want. Um, so this is something that I guess my question is too. like, this is obviously this is a huge, huge project. And, um, you know, just like our electrical lines, everything is is, again, very old in the city. Uh, I have a friend at Entergy that maps all the lines and she's just like, oh my gosh, it's just crazy. When you get in the quarter, it's just nuts because it's hundreds of years old. Yeah. Um, but so what happens? I know we've, nobody has missed the fact that we have had streets under construction majorly in the past few years. So does all that get dug up again? Like how, how does, what, because I know you're also on the mayor's complete streets task force. So how is that going to affect the city when you're going through and replacing all these pipes? There's a lot of lot of questions in there. So the the one uh, thing I'd like to point out is that we are working in sync with our partners at the city slash DPW. So anytime there's a total replacement or reconstruction of a street, meaning the pavement is out, the curbs and curb and gutter is out we go in and we replace our water mains as well as the sewer mains to so that we they're not we're not burying old mains and then ca causing us to come back right after a pavement is done to to attend to it so we're replacing water mains and sewer mains prior to the, the new pavement is installed additionally we're also replacing the lines the service lines from the main to the meter which allows us to kind of get out of the new pavement limits so there's no need to go back and dig up and replace anything because everything's been replaced okay so everything just to clarify so everything when we've seen these you know streets ripped up and uh everything being redone at that time you have been going through and, and replacing these pipes yes okay. now it's also important to note for you know educated uh audience that you have is that we are fixing the part of the issue by removing our portion of the lead line from the main to the meter. But the issue still uh, continues because the rest of the line from the meter to the house, if, if ours is lead, it's likely that the other portion which is owned by the property owner is also lead. So it's our obligation to not lose that fact and be mindful that that should be replaced as well. So uh, because of that, as you stated, there's a lot of money that has been earmarked or identified to help in the lead uh, service line re replacement. 
this this state has received this portion, its allocated portion from from EPA from the federal government, and that pot of money is sitting waited waiting to for us utilities to compete for it. Yes. We believe we're going to get the lion's share of that money uh, because we uh, we are one of the oldest cities in the state. We are over three hundred years, as you know, and we have probably the most number of lead lines. So we're going to compete very hard to get as much of that money to allow us to initiate that that replacement plan in a, in a steady and aggressive fashion so we can do as many as we can in a year to, in order to shorten the overall period by which we need to replace all of the lines, okay. right? So the money is there. Um, we are, again, the inventory is the first step. The next step is to devise the plan. How do you start? Uh, how do you deliver a project like that with the least amount of disturbance? But I want to focus, and with your help, the more people understand our challenge that if we do not replace the private portion of the lead line, we have not solved the issue, right? So we're going to need every single property owner that has a lead line to acquiesce and allow us to replace their portion when we replace ours or just replace their, theirs if we have replaced ours as well. I mean, like I stated before, some of our lines have been replaced. So right. we're done from, from the right away perspective, but we need to finish the job and then replace their portion as well. So it's gonna be extremely important for people to understand the benefit and allow us to assume that responsibility at our cost okay. and the grant grant or, or loan uh, funded to allow us to finish and complete the protection by removing all the lead to the, to the property. So will this be something where a homeowner would be told, uh, like I'm assuming, cause I mean, I'm a homeowner, I have no idea, you know, if we have lead pipes between here and the, and the city line. So is this is something that as you're going through, if you're, pipe through like out in front of my house is lead you're going to assume that my house is also and so then you would contact me and say we need to we need to come in and and redo this yes that's part of the plan that i'm talking about this in terms of devising the communication piece that the education piece and how do we get your uh, uh approval and partnership to allow us to do replace your portion, you know, via a simply signed document allowing us to enter your your property uh, for a very short time in the least uh, intrusive and destructive way, um, and then just get get that piece uh, on your property replaced. So, yes, we will be communicating, we'll be educating, we'll be showing you the benefits, and we're hoping that we get hundred percent. Um, favorable response and then get us to solve the issue uh, once and for all and completely so. so it sounds like i mean there's a there's a lot of of um, components to this but do you have i guess any clue of a timeline of when things will start uh yes I, again after the inventory is is complete in october of 2024 we're hoping that 2025 will be the year of replacement okay. so and that's very realistic. I mean, everything we have touched uh, in the last five years, everything we've talked about, we are we we envision, we plan, and we execute. And we've we've demonstrated that's the only way to do it. 
whether it's the smart meters, whether it's the power complex, whether it's store, restoring pavement cuts, anything that we identified as a key uh, priority for us, we are executing. So the lead service lines is a top priority for us and we will execute. So 2025 will be the beginning of a formal process. And I, the reason I say that is because currently we have a, a one-off type, you know, when we encounter a lead line on a private property for whatever reason, we put it on the list and we we make sure that we end up replacing it. So um, it's not a robust by any means, but it's something that we are, you know, doing uh, at a smaller scale because we know it's important. But to answer your questions, 2025 will be the beginning of a, a multi-year uh, large scale uh, remove and replace uh, lead lines. So I'm assuming a big target of this will be the oldest areas of the city. You know, we, we do have areas that, you know, were mostly built up in say the eighties and stuff like that, that may not have this kind of problem, but I'm assuming you're concentrating more on like the older areas. Well, the, the, like I said, the inventory will inform that this, those decisions, right? So when we know where the clusters are, you know, uh, and we're going to have probably multiple or miscellaneous, uh, simultaneous rather, um, uh, crews doing work throughout. So it's not that we're going to do one block at a time. We're going to do multiple and, you know, across the city and across all neighborhoods to be able to uh, deliver on this project as equitably as we can, uh, and obviously remove the dangers of uh, deadlines, you know, as, as fast as we can. Um, and I know we're we're talking about deadlines, but we have obviously the the bigger picture as well in terms of what do what does our uh, purification process look like? What does our facility look like today? Our facilities are very old. And uh, we have started the process of uh, bringing on experts to allow us to develop a plan for what does our new purification plan look like, right? Because in anticipation of higher standards, uh, whether it's relative to lead or heavy metals or PFAS, the microplastics, the, the, the forever uh, chemicals, our plan currently is not does not have the ability to capture any of these contaminants. So we have an obligation to replace what we have with, with new technology that allow us to capture um, those new contaminants and you know consistent with new regulations, allow us to even introduce processes to minimize the exposure of lead or leaching of lead in water, because again, we have a 20 to 30 year period of time that we have to do um, uh, protection for our uh, customers, but also technology that could uh, have the ability to uh, manage salt water. So we cannot be reactive. I mean, we, we're confident that this is gonna happen again, you know, drought conditions, whatever, way out of our control. I mean, we have to be able to adapt to climate in such a way that we are not reactive, we are not spending money unnecessarily, we're not spending too much money uh, for being, you know, we wanna be uh, proactive and uh, better ready to manage any future situations such as salt and water, right? So we 
believe we got enough attention because of this recent crisis with the intrusion of salt that our federal uh, agencies and have been good partners for us for a long, long time are able to think like we are in terms of let's let's spend money, uh, collective money on one long-term solution that may likely be less than a one-time cost for building something that just to respond to a one-time incident and undo it and then face the same issue in the future and spending the same amount of money, if not more. So everybody's, you know, logically ar arriving at the conclusion that let's think long-term, let's think more effective and more efficient uh, approaches and then allow the city our size to be ready for, um, again, you know, similar situations in the future, whether it's lead, salt, and and PFAS. So we're 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 in a good place in terms of attention and understanding and willingness to think creatively in terms of um, how we how uh, other federal dollars that typically are designed for response for emergency is to proactively avoid or minimize emergency costs in the future. Right, right. That uh, makes sense to you. Yeah, the cost of prevention always yep. cheaper than the cure, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, so the purification and this new technology, is there a timeline for that? Is that, it, it, I mean, you'd obviously be waiting on on money for it, um, but how, how quickly can something like that come together? So, uh, Typically, a plan would take about 12 to 18 months to, to develop because uh, you don't want to miss any any variables or drivers. To, so when you're completed design, you would have addressed everything that you need to address. So we, want, we don't want to be hasty with that. The process just started now. And the process actually started before the, the saltwater intrusion because we knew our water quality um, process has to be improved. We, again, like I stated, to, to meet and comply with new regulations. So that process started and now we are in the middle of selecting the, I guess, a superior partner to help us develop that plan. Now, ideally, you want to start a project as soon as you finish designing it. And that's where I'm going to focus a lot as much as I can on getting that funding uh, be set in place so we don't lose any waiting time from the completion of the design and from the starting of the execution. But to answer your, your question, it's probably about three to five years to be realistic. Three, if we have the money and then we have everything that we need in terms of you know permits, because the LDH has to approve whatever technology that we use in the future, and we're confident that they will, but it's a process. So in my, my hopes is three years from now, we're looking at close to completing a project, but more realistically, five years. Okay. Um, just because it takes time to construct something and then obviously to put the funding in place is a is a real challenge, but we're hoping to focus on and resolve as soon as possible. So this is something you were talking about. There's short-term solutions and long-term solutions. So this this purification, this is more, this is heading on the long-term solution part so that we don't go through this 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we owe it to our uh, customers to anticipate what the new regulations and standards are and meet those uh, the minute they are imposed. And, uh, you know, our plant is old and needs to be replaced. And the time has come. And just like we have are improving a lot of other things, um, this is due and we have to make it a priority. I don't know if, I mean, just an example of the improvements we've made in terms of drinking water, not just, there's multiple pieces to the process. You get the intake, you know, that's a process. Then you get the purification piece. Then you get the pumping of that portable water into the system. Then there's the delivering of that water through the distribution systems, which is obviously very vulnerable. As you know, we have a lot of old mains throughout the city. So, and they, we build the water towers or water hammers, and those have been providing extremely, uh, the, the benefits of that have been enjoyed since day one by eliminating the need for board water advisory because they have been able to balance the pressure in the system. Ah, so, that, so that's why. So when yes. we moved here about 12 years ago and we were having bottled water advisories all the time and then my husband and i were just talking about it we're like we haven't had one in a really long time what's yep. what's going on? but by design there's two things that we've done um and again you know if you invest you're gonna see benefits right so water water hammers allow us about 40 minutes in case of a loss of a pressure in the system to allow us to respond and if let's say a, a pump breaks down we can stand up another one so that 40 minutes is plenty of time for us to stand up and respond to an issue if you don't have those pressure drops and while you're responding you already lost the pressure and if pressure goes below 20 psi in the system then then we're forced to call a ball adv advisory so um, that's why you're you're seeing the benefits of of those hammers and as well as new uh, pumps that we had replaced, allowing us more reliable uh, and uh, adjustable ability to to pump water as as we need to in the system. Okay, so we're basically there's not we don't have any reason to panic about the salt right. water edge right now. And there is a process going forward where that is going to handle these kinds of things in the future, because this is not going to probably be our first time or our, our last time. Last time. Um, so um, is there anything on homeowners um, end that that we should be doing? Um, I know for a while we were talking about you're talking about doing um, filtering systems and reverse osmosis. So none of that you're saying is is probably needed at this point um but uh is there anything i guess kind of parting words you know what what can we do to support you guys well i appreciate that uh, but just to emphasize there's really no need for anybody to take any individual action we are taking it on your behalf by again either blending or replacing the source of water so so no one would know the difference uh, the uh, the water quality would be maintained. We're monitoring very closely. And if we need you to do something on an individual basis, we will make sure to communicate that from, from our customers. But we're taking it upon ourselves to provide a, a solution from the, from the intake uh, uh, 
portion, so nothing, no one will know the difference in terms of quality. Um, I think it's important to always think about individual responsibility when it comes to lead, because again, the the uh, the enormity and the scale of the project and the 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 period of time it will take. So as I mean, I'm speaking to you as a mother, for example, yeah. I would, I mean, I trust that you're doing what you need to do in terms of blood levels. I mean, lead levels in, in, in your, you know, case of your children, yeah. um, but also you can always uh, do an added level protection by buying a filter that's certified that can filter lead uh, completely at 99.9%. Uh, to me, I, I give that advice to anybody, uh, any of my customers, because then you take, it's a peace of mind. Right. And then you eliminate all the fluctuations and, and the unknowns that may exist in the system uh, with without you being aware of it. So I always say that to anybody I'm able to, to take that one uh, individual responsibility and you provide yourself and your family a higher level of protection and Keep keep the lead out of out of your children's, uh, you know. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, and I think it's a fairly straightforward uh, exercise or approach, and hopefully a lot of people heed to that advice and and follow through. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Corban, for, for joining us. I really appreciate all the insight. I know you guys are super busy right now, so I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, just and keep us posted if there's anything Absolutely. else we need to know. Um, but uh, yeah, we'd love to we'd love to be hearing the good news about the funding coming through and um, and these projects moving forward for our city. We'll keep you posted, as you said. So thank you so much <laughs> for having me on today. Thanks so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Thanks for listening. Biz Talks is brought to you by Biz New Orleans magazine. Follow us on social media at BizNewOrleans and visit bizneworleans.com for daily news and stories.